Let's open up our Bibles to John chapter 1. For those of you that go to Maple Grove, this is our third time doing this. John chapter 1, we have been looking at the prologue to John's gospel last Sunday and then again this morning. And we'll do so one more time tonight, looking at John's revelation of the word becoming flesh. This unique Christmas account, this awe-inspiring word of God, revelation from God. This morning we were looking at verse 14. We'll be focusing in there again along with, with verse 16 this morning. But let's stand in honor of the word of the Lord and we will, we will read one more time, one more time, the prologue to John's Gospels, the first 18 verses and just... Just let the awe of this, the wonder of this, just, just breathe it in as we, as we hear now the word of the Lord. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Who were born not of blood, not of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This is he of whom I said, he who comes after me, ranks before me because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Let's pray together. Almighty God, we do rejoice in your living, supernatural, awe-inspiring word. We rejoice, Lord, in, in your revelation of yourself to us. You're making yourself known. You're revealing the, the glories of Christ, the glories of the incarnation, and the mysteries of our salvation. We pray, Lord, that, that you would again tonight arrest our hearts. By your Spirit, lift our eyes to behold this Christ. I pray for myself as I proclaim your word. The words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You can be seated. Again, we're going, to be, we're going to be kind of zeroing in on verse 14 again this evening. And, and three major ideas. And the first is, is glory, the glory of Christ. We have seen his glory. And then John gives us here two major descriptors of that glory. This glory, the glory of Christ, the glory of God is full of grace and truth. Glory, grace, and truth. 
First John says, we've seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father. That, that Jesus in his incarnation, in his, in his flesh, in his, in his coming as a human, displays the glory of the Father. As we said this morning, Christmas isn't about a birth, it's about a coming. It is about the Lord of glory himself coming in the flesh. John, John is pointing us again to this baby in this main manger, this baby that looks like any other baby. This baby, in fact, that looks poorer than most. And he points us to this humble baby and he says to us, behold your king. This is the eternal God. This is the glorious, eternal son of God. This is God in human flesh. This is the one who made all things. When we look into that manger, we behold the glory of God. And glory is a word we use a lot in church. We talk about the glory of God and God being glorious and God's doing all things for his glory. But what does it really mean? What is glory? Glory is simply the display of the infinite greatness and majesty of God. It's, it's the fullness and the excellencies of all that God is. And, and John says, Jesus is the manifestation of that. Here it is, the fullness, the excellencies, the, the majesty and the might and the power and the justice and the grace and the mercy and the love, all the attributes of God. And we, we look at Jesus and John says, there it is. There it is. In human flesh, the manifestation of God's glory. God's glory made visible. So after just telling us that Jesus Christ is, is the glory of God made visible, John says this in verse 18, no one has ever seen God. No one has ever seen God. But we think as those who read our Bibles, well, Moses did, right? Didn't Moses see God in Exodus 34? John, John's working with that text here. It's in his mind as he is writing this. In verse 17, John even mentions Moses. He hasn't forgotten Moses. When one verse later, he says, no one has seen God. No one has seen God, not even Moses. What did Moses see? What did Moses get? Moses got a glimpse of the goodness of the Lord. That's what Moses saw. Remember on that mountain, as God passes by Moses, what does God do? He proclaims his goodness. He proclaims his character to Moses on that mountain, that God is merciful, that God is faithful, or to use John's word here in this passage, that he is true. The goodness of God, the truth of God. And look at what John says here in verse 14. Jesus is the only son from the father full of what? Grace and truth. Grace and truth. Verse 16 says this from his fullness. We have all received grace upon grace for the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So, so what Moses heard on that mountain in that day as God proclaimed his goodness, as God passed by him in the cleft of that rock and proclaimed his goodness before Moses, that's what Jesus embodies. The glory of God. 
And, and so the flesh of Jesus, here's what this means. The, the coming of Christ in the flesh, his incarnation does not obscure the glory of God. It reveals the glory of God. It doesn't hide the glory of God. It reveals the glory of God. This, this humble baby, there was no room for him in the inn. And so he's in some sort of animal dwelling, laying in a feeding trough. That didn't obscure the glory of God. This humble carpenter's son, working with his hands, that didn't obscure the glory of God. He, this man who dealt with every indignity that humans have to suffer, as we said this morning, he went from having no needs for all of eternity to having a diaper that needed changed. To being hungry and needing someone to supply him with food that he didn't even have the words to ask for. He eventually had acne and body odor. He went through puberty of all things. That, that Jesus is where we behold the glory of God. That Jesus, the man, Jesus Christ, who took on flesh, we see it. We behold the glory of God. He is, John says, in our midst. He's in our midst and we're eyewitnesses to it. And so John tells us what this glory is like. John, who, who walked with this Jesus, tells us what that glory is like. The glory of Christ is full of grace and truth. Verse 14 again, we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and and truth, the revelation of God's glory as God chooses to, to give special revelation. Not just the revelation of God that all men see in creation as we, as we have eyes to see and ears to hear and skin that feels. And we all know, all men know that there is a God and we are accountable to him. But not that general revelation. When God gives special revelation in the person of Christ and reveals himself. To mankind, that glory is full of grace and truth. This is who God reveals himself to be. Not half and half. Not, not half grace and half truth. Not sometimes grace and sometimes truth. Full of grace and truth. Grace and truth together. Grace and truth need to go together. They belong together. They have to be together. We don't fully get one without the other. We can only experience grace by believing the truth. That's the only way we get to experience grace. Verse 16, he says, For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. The glory of, of Christ, the glory of God, full of grace, grace upon grace. This, this endless, non-diminishing supply of grace, literally grace in the place of grace. It, it just keeps replacing itself. Here's grace and here's more grace right behind it and more just behind that. And it never runs out. We have received the fullness, think of this Christians, the fullness of the grace that Jesus possesses. He's given to you. You've received it. It's astonishing. It's, it's infinite. It's never ending. This, this grace that, that Christ lavishes upon us, it just keeps replacing itself. Grace in the place of grace. 
overlapping, like, like waves of the ocean. When you stand at the ocean on the right day and you don't know where one wave ends and the next one begins, it's just one after another after another and it never runs out and it never diminishes. That's the idea here. It's just wave after wave after wave of grace that never ends and it just keeps washing over us. The Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 5, verse 2, Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Christian, you have not only gained access to grace. As John says, we, we've been made God's children. You've not only gained that access to grace as his child, you have been given eternal life. And you will be the recipient of endless grace. Forever and ever. For all of eternity, with no breaks, with no pauses, no gaps, just grace upon grace upon grace upon grace forever and ever and ever. And you didn't earn that. You don't deserve that. In any way that you think, yeah, I've got that coming to me, you've lied to yourself. And you're fooling yourself. You could never earn one ounce of that. That's what grace is by its, by its very nature. It is undeserved. It is unearned. It is unmerited. This is why Christmas is, a, is, is such amazing news. God could have chosen... To come in the flesh, he would never have needed to do that in the first place, but he could have. If he chose to come in the flesh, he could have chose to come as executioner and judge. Right on the spot. I've come to wipe you all out because you deserve it. We would all have been found guilty before him had he chosen to do that. The sentence of everlasting punishment would have exactly fit the crime of rebellion and treason against an eternal God. But he didn't choose to come in the flesh that way. Jesus came to reveal divine glory that is full of grace and truth. The word became flesh to be gracious to us. Why? Because that's exactly who God is. Because that's exactly who he is. So the word became flesh so the gracious God could be gracious to us. The, the word became flesh so that God's graciousness would uphold God's truthfulness. That's why the word became flesh. This is, this is, grace is not some wishy-washy thing. It's not some unprincipled thing. It's not like the, the terrible parent who just lets their kid do anything and they can't bear to punish them or make them feel sad. And so they just sweep everything off under the rug. And they let their kid get away with whatever they want to. And they raise a monster. That is not who God is. That is not who our God is. Grace is not wishy-washy. Grace is not weak. It is not unprincipled. Grace does not do away with all of God's other attributes. It doesn't undermine God's righteous judgment. It doesn't mean that God doesn't have wrath for sin. You hear this a lot, don't you? I believe in a God who is love. I believe in a God who is gracious. And that statement is usually being uttered as a way to say, so he doesn't hate sin. He's not at war with sinners. He wouldn't send anyone to hell. What a bigot you are for suggesting that. No, God's grace does not undermine any of his other attributes. 
Whatever God is, God is to the full. And God is righteous. And so God's grace is righteous. God's grace is, is God-exalting. God's grace is costly. God, God's grace leads straight to a violent, bloody cross. To a shameful, scornful cross. That is why the word became Flesh. He had to become flesh in order to, to die in our place. He had to, to become a human in order to become our mediator. To die as the God-man in our place. And, and so the cross of Christ, the wrath of God poured out on sin, is where the fullness of grace shines most brightly. Grace was performed there. Grace was put on display there. Grace was purchased there. This baby of Christmas died because God's glory is full of grace and truth. He's gracious to us. He is true to himself. When Christ died, God was true to himself because sin was punished and sin must be punished. Sin must be dealt with. When Christ died, God was infinitely gracious to us because Christ bore our punishment instead of us. This word truth is essential to helping us understand what grace really is. To keep it from being this thing that that the world has, has, has twisted and even many in the church have twisted to be this this meaningless just lets you get away with anything. Nothing matters anymore. The holiness of God doesn't, doesn't matter anymore. Do what you want. God will forgive you. That's his job. No, this word truth is essential to understand what grace is, who grace is for, how we receive it. When John says we have received grace upon grace, we doesn't mean everybody in the whole world. Not everyone in the whole world is a recipient of grace upon grace upon grace forevermore. Grace comes to those who have believed the truth of the gospel. And so then we must proclaim this truth or we're not loving. We must tell the truth as it is. Or we're not loving. The gospel is the gospel of the kingdom of God. And that kingdom has a king. God reigns. God rules. God calls the shots. We exist for God's pleasure, not the other way around. God doesn't exist so that we can define him the way we want and feel good about the life that we are living. We exist for his pleasure, and it also means we exist not for our own pleasure, but for his. It is the gospel of the kingdom, and the kingdom has a king. But the gospel of the kingdom is also a gospel of grace. And that is what makes this king so glorious. Our our proclamation of the truth must be marked with grace. We must proclaim the truth. And our proclamation of the truth, for it to be really true, must be marked by grace. It must be marked by the humility that comes from being recipients of grace. I didn't earn anything. I wasn't smarter than anyone. I wasn't better than anyone. 
I deserve no good thing from God. The paycheck I worked hard for and earned was eternal punishment. And God instead saw fit to save me in Christ Jesus. Not because of any good in me. Not because he foresaw faith in me by looking down the corridor of time. But because before the foundation of the world, for his own good purposes, he chose me. And he bought me. And he redeemed me. And he brought me on eagle's wings to himself. And he has hidden me in Christ such that no one can ever snatch me out of his hands. And that is how I see myself. And that's how I see the world. And there's no room for pride there. There's no room for boasting there. And so any kind of proclamation of the truth that comes from a place of looking down our nose at someone else is not truth. It's not the truth. We're self-deceived. We're not saved because we're good. We're not saved because we're worthy. We're not saved because we're smart. We're saved by grace and grace alone. And so grace without truth is shallow and powerless. In fact, it's not grace, it's sentimentality. And it saves no one. And it just makes, makes men all the more fit for hell. But on the other hand, truth without grace is not really truth. It's harsh, it's legalistic, it's binding, it's a false gospel. Randy Alcorn in his book, The Grace and Truth Paradox, says this. Truth without grace breeds a self-righteous legalism that poisons the church and pushes the world away from Christ. Grace without truth breeds moral indifference and keeps people from seeing their need for Christ. So grace without truth deceives people and ceases to be grace. And truth without grace crushes people and ceases to be truth. Absolutely right. God's glory is full of grace and truth. And we must not minimize either one. If we minimize grace, there's no hope for salvation. We now preach, pre- preach a gospel that cannot save. If we minimize truth, the world sees no need for salvation. So instead of the world's apathy and intolerance, we need grace. Instead of the world's relativism and deception, we need truth. And church, that's what we have to offer. Grace and truth. To be a faithful witness to the glory of God, revealed in the face of Christ, revealed at Christmas... We must offer full-bodied, unabridged truth and grace. Magnifying both. Not downsizing. Not apologizing for either one of them. We need to stop justifying our lack of resemblance to Jesus. Jesus who, who reveals the glory of God. Full of grace and truth. And we justify our sin Of not looking like him at all. Justifying our sin of the hardness of our hearts that lacks grace. That's itching for a fight. It's itching to cause trouble because we're sick of the world. And we're sick of other people. We need to stop justifying our sin of the fear of man that fears to speak the truth. And will not speak the truth because the world hates it. We're prone To justify our lack of grace because I'm just a truth guy. 
I'm just going to say it like it is. And if you don't like it, I guess you'll have to deal with it. Or we justify the lack of truth by saying, I'm a grace guy. I don't want to sound judgmental. I don't want to hurt people. That really offends. I need to be just very, very delicate here in the way I speak. No, grace and truth are are equal and inseparable. We cannot have one without the other. Martin Luther says it like this. The devil doesn't care which side of the horse you fall off as long as you don't stay in the saddle. He really doesn't care. Go full bore on the truth, God's honest truth, and be a jerk, and the devil's happy. He genuinely doesn't care. He'll he'll take it. Go full bore on what you have misidentified as grace and just be so loving to everyone. Gentle Jesus, meek and mild, who would never offend a soul. He certainly wouldn't take the time to lovingly craft a, a whip and clear out a part of the temple or anything. Just, just go full in on that. Compromise the truth and the devil is equally happy. He doesn't care which error you fall into. <coughs> We need one foot solidly in the stirrup of truth and one foot solidly in the stirrup of grace. And we are unwilling to compromise on either one. That's what the Spirit of God actually, by the way, produces in the heart of Christians. We we are filled with grace by our very nature because we have been saved by grace. God's, God's grace has been shed abroad in our hearts. How could we not? And it's this truth that is that has so captivated our souls. That God is used to make us be transported from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his glorious light. How could we not desire to hold on to both of these things and never let go? And this is what Christmas is about. The glory of God. The glory of God. Full of grace and truth. Jesus didn't come though just to be an example of that. He didn't come just to display glory, grace, and truth. He came to save us in glory, grace, and truth. He came to give to us glory, grace, and truth. He came to transform us so that we would be proclaimers of his glory, grace, and truth. So that's according to John. According to John, and it's just scraping the surface of his prologue. Christmas is this. Number one, this, this word is God. This word, God, became human, became flesh, the God-man. This word came near and dwelt among us. This, this word reveals to us his divine glory. This glory is full of grace and truth. Truth that, that tells ignorant and deceived people like we once were. Of our desperate need for salvation. Truth that does not shy away from that. It doesn't shy away from opening our eyes and causing us to look at our desperate condition. And grace that that lifts our eyes to behold Christ. The one who took on flesh. The one who bore the sins of all who trust in him on the cross. The one who is risen victorious. The one who who saves to the uttermost all who put their trust in him. This grace that brings salvation to the guilty. Such that all who draw near to God through Christ are saved. 
saved to the uttermost. And grace that will cause us to stand, grace that will hold us, grace that will sustain us, grace that will keep us until that day when we see him face to face. What a glorious Savior. What a glorious salvation. And what a glorious reason to celebrate. Let's pray together. Almighty God, thank you for your great salvation. We thank you for the gospel. We thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we would be without hope. Completely and utterly without hope. Had you not taken the initiative to save. Had you not sent your son. The willing sacrifice. The one who came and lived sinlessly on our behalf. The one who for the joy set before him endured the cross. The one who paid the full penalty for our Sin, completely removing our guilt, our shame, our condemnation. The one who has has given to us his own spotless, eternal righteousness. We thank you, Lord, for the finished work of the cross, for the finished work of the, the act of obedience in the life of Christ. We thank you for his glorious resurrection and power. We thank you that this same Jesus is seated at the right hand of glory right now, interceding on our behalf. This same Jesus who is putting all of his enemies under his feet, who will surely return for us. We thank you for the sure promise of the new heavens and the new earth. And we glory in you, our God, and your great salvation. May we, as we go tonight, as we celebrate This time of Christmas with our families tonight and tomorrow and in the days to come, may our celebration be marked by worship and awe. Lord, may we be faithful ambassadors. We have ample opportunity, each one of us, to be proclaimers of your glory, ambassadors of your glory, full of grace and truth. I pray you would make us bold to that end. Pray that we would be faithful to that end. And I pray, Lord, that, that you would cause our, Lord, cause our mouths to speak truth from hearts of love. Lord, Lord, love for you and love for those to whom we speak. Pray that you would be glorified, Lord, in us and through us. In Jesus' name, amen.